A Christian mind is not one that is trained to think only about Christian topics. It is a mind that has learned to think about everything from a Christian perspective. Christianity provides a comprehensive view of the world. Christianity is a worldview. Worldviews are the grids. They are the lenses through which we frame all of reality. So it's interesting. She was like, um, she was like, oh, when Glastonbury announcements got made, I think she found out before the actual um, proper announcement was made. So she told me, she was like, oh, Stormzy's going to be headlining on the Friday night. Hmm. Not really sure how I feel about that. Not because like, he's a black man, just because she's just like, mm, don't know if he fits, don't really like his music too tough. And she's not like an avowed atheist or anything like that. But um, when God talk takes place, she's very quick to be like, hmm, doesn't want to engage that kind of conversation. So I'm sure she would have felt some level of discomfort. Brother Kingsley over here struggling with his... Um, with his mic. <laughs> she would have, He's definitely <laughs> Yeah, I feel like she would have felt some kind of way right. with um, Stormzy's insistence that God will get the glory for yesterday. No, it was a me. There was something that was me when someone said uh, when Stormzy keeps talking about God and had like atheist reactions. Because <laughs> <laughs> he mentioned it a couple of times. Of course, like the Blinded by Your Grace. I think like ended oh, with yeah. Blinded by Your Grace. Yeah. Um, was that part one or part two? Part two, I think Blinded it was. Blinded by Your Grace. I'm definitely recording this well. <laughs> Are you but recording? Yeah, yeah, and there's like loads of choirs and stuff. So. No, can that's you why know? you play drums. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you don't sing. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. nah, man. Shout out Stormzy, man. My, I feel like well, I I even... Do I need this thing? You know, I'm tired of it. <laughs> you know, I just I allow you for today. I allow you for today. What does it actually do? It just stops your. P- and your oh, S's. okay, okay. Yeah. So when someone says perhaps, so for example, I don't Some have a Some preachers need this in the... So when you hear perhaps, peas, people are really screaming right now. Like, yeah. Got it, got it, got it, got it. What are you saying though? Everybody good? I'm We're good, chilling. man. How you guys been? I'm chilling. <laughs> Yo, it's really hot. Legit, guys, it is really hot and it's glorious. Is I it the hottest day of this today? So far this year. This year. Mm. Right, sure. we're hoping it gets topped before I fly out. That's the, that's you the, are bugging. You're so good. That you is the goal. Do you know where, what the weather's at where you're going? Uh, apparently it's really hot. Um, they keep saying 100. No, that's, that's too high. Um, <laughs> they definitely didn't say that. Not <laughs> Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit. Isn't it? But that's still too high. I think they said something like 80s Fahrenheit. I, I don't know. I think that's like plus 30 okay. degrees Celsius, I think. Which sounds amazing, but apparently it's really humid as well. So we'll see how the humidity pans out. But I'm looking forward to the plus 30 weather. Nah, I prefer autumn and early winter. Oh, facts. Oh, yeah. yo. That's when the water I even like spring. Out. I like spring. <laughs> Campbell Cook. Yeah, yeah, you know I love spring. Spring what is kind so of nice. self-hatred? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it just gets too hot. Was man. it internalised um, hatred? That's what I was going to say. No, it just gets too hot. But people who have have hay fever, I really feel for them. Like people are, oh, like, yeah, eyes I are do. burning. Your man's had me running through grass, mm-hmm. <laughs> face in grass this morning during this workout. Like, I'm not a terrible sufferer, but like, I mean, mm, things might start flaring up yeah. and I've got bites all over me. Oh. Mosquito bites? Yeah. What? Not know. mosquitoes. I don't know what's part oh. of the train. Oh, no. <laughs> bite, bite. <laughs> <you're> like... <laughs> the hay fever thing is real though. I feel it. Yeah, I don't yeah, have hay fever, but I just, I have friends in there. Mm. peak. Can you imagine trying to teach when you're like out here breaking down? I've got tears you? in my eyes and I'm like, and so carbon dioxide. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's the passion. <laughs> They're like, no, sir, you okay? <laughs> sir, you okay? So rude, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they're looking like, raw. It's just chemistry. Chill. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> oh my days. But everyone's uh, good, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. good. Cool. Um, just yeah. before like we jump in, no, though, shout out Stormzy. That was like a monumental performance. Mm. Facts. I think it goes down in Black British cultural history. Facts. And I think it's one of those things that maybe like 10, 20 plus years time we'll still be looking back on and referencing and saying that this was a significant movement in the sort of cultural landscape. So mm. shout out Stormzy and his team. Yes. Michael, um, and Mario, we were junior. Ghanaian King. I haven't even got the full name. Fam. No, there's a there's a fuller name that I, I can't oh, wow. pronounce with the Ghan. I don't want people to fight me, but um, <laughs> I just picked the the key four ones that I usually hear. But um, fair, fair, fair. yeah, shout out Stormzy. Yeah, so um we're sitting down today, um, following our Black Berea Live Gospel for Black Millennials second show. Um, first of all, start by saying thank you to everybody that came out to join us on the 15th of June. Yep. We loved um sitting down, breaking down those two panel sessions with you. Thank you so much for the feedback that you gave us for the engagement on the day, um, the follow-up tweets, messages that we've seen. I'm mm. very, very encouraged by people's attendance, participation. We love you. Thank you so much for joining us that evening. How did you guys find, we'll start this way. How did you guys find the event itself? My guy, you're less toxic now, you know. What? What? <laughs> he, said, he said, we love you. Just rolled up. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> we love you guys. I'm so happy. No, no, I, said, guys. I didn't say I. Uh, we. Oh, okay. 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 I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> He's not joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I thought it was. I thought it was a good event. I think. I think leading up to it, I was very nervous. Mm. Um, just because of the topics that we were going to be dealing with. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot to unpack, and I think sometimes when people come to shows, there's a lot of excitement. It's our second show. It's mm. sold out, and yeah, I I was just very nervous in terms of just. I hope people go away understanding kind of our hearts our desires where what we see um churches should be mindful of things that do pertain to black millennials so yeah i was very mm. nervous but as i think as a show starts you're like ah, okay everyone's here sounds yeah. working yeah. food is here like yeah. everyone's chilled um and no i thought all in all it was a good like shout out um mike omani who came on the first panel mm. first time um hearing him at length and yeah i thought he was a, a really good really good panelist um yeah is Shout out to Kende Omo oh, yeah. Tayo as well. Second I almost said Omo Yini, but that's Mike. I realise <laughs> realize now how similar their last names are, just clocking it. Um, yeah, you were on both panels. Oh yeah, you was, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. All-star. It was, it was interesting. It was good. It was good. Um, definitely stretching in terms of like processing different people's uh, thoughts and ideas and um, <laughs> contributions. <laughs> so I hear was, that. Honestly, there was a point on that first panel. Kingsley did well to... <laughs> Now nah, Kingsley did an amazing job to as, a level d- yeah. where everybody was able to follow because <laughs> at one point you and um, Mike were doing Federer Nadal facts in 2015 <laughs> like but it was good it was it was really mm. really um, engaging and um, shout out to him for, for joining us also shout out to K&A mm-hmm. and I guess shout out to people who had questions yeah. um, shout out to people who had audience contributions very very thankful for the engagement with the topic. Um, we got sent some extra questions during the event that unfortunately we didn't get to because of time. But we thought it would be good for us to all come sit down, go through our thoughts on the event itself and then get to some of those questions we weren't able to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for sending those in on the slide though. Curious cat. Um, we will be also looking at a couple of questions that weren't necessarily sent in relation to the event. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll use this as an opportunity to kind of like, kind of like an Ask BB, but we're dealing with some of the things that come from events. So, um, yeah, let's just, might as well just kick it off. 
Question number one. And I should say the questions are just read out how they were drafted. So this isn't us having our particular slant on them. Um, so question number one, we're going to go straight in. How should young Christians responsibly use their Christian liberty on social media? So let's use WhatsApp. Let's use Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever else you might have. How should young Christians use that wisely, responsibly? Are any of you on <laughs> social media? Yeah, yeah, like, but not really. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay. I'm on it, but I'm not, not active really. on it. Okay. Um, so I think that kind of shapes my, guess, response to this question. And possibly one of the reasons why I'm not on social media heavy is because I'm trying to avoid some of the pitfalls and mm -hmm. perils um, mm. that you see on social media regularly. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess for me, when I'm thinking about Maybe take a minute and okay. actually tell us some of the pitfalls and perils on social media. Yeah, Man. there's lots. Lots. What can I? What can I? Okay, so social media is one of those. Okay, maybe we will do a particular ones. So okay. I, say I'm on Twitter, mm -hmm. and Twitter only allows you to what tweet something like 280 characters, yeah. Yeah. whatever. So it's very easy when there are topical conversations taking place between people for ideas, conversations to be misunderstood right. and people to be misrepresented and those things descend into kind of further arguments, slander, mm. libel, all of those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And I think we've said it before, but I've seen that particularly among Christians, people who are considered faithful believers. Um, and that's one of the things that can be discouraging. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's one, one area. Um, and also because people are posting their own personal content um, there are things on there that may be, I was about to say not edible. That's definitely not the word I was looking for. Not edifying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to eat your tweets, but uh, what I was going to say is not edifying. Yeah. So you can't control what everybody else is posting. Mm. And sometimes right. if you haven't curated your feed well, mm. you will be getting stuff retweeted mm -hmm. onto your um, timeline mm. that you didn't expect to see. For yeah. sure. So Even when it's what people like as well. I had to yeah, turn that setting off yo, quick. I was like, brother. Yeah. Oh, you, know you can it? turn it off? Yeah, there's a setting you can actually turn off like what um, seeing other people's likes. Cause I didn't, I didn't cause sometimes it's yeah. good because you're That's like, oh, this, is, this is a really good tweet or maybe when I, when I just checked it, uh, there was a really <laughs> helpful tweet. But I've seen the what I'm just like, okay, yeah, you're yeah, getting yeah, muted yeah. straight. Like, Wiling. Yeah, so yeah, social media is dangerous. Yeah, so I guess those are some of the... <laughs> those are some of the... Um, Pitfalls that you might encounter. I don't know if there's any others that you guys. I mean, of course, you think of things like Instagram and kind of finding your identity being shaped by your likes. Right. And, mm, mm. You know, it's, yeah, it's all of those the different things we've we've covered in the past of just um, really letting your identity be shaped by how many likes, retweets, engagement you get, mm. um, and then also trying to think that it forms some sort of friendship when it doesn't always. I think social media does have its benefits. It does have its pluses um, in being able to engage with people, uh, being able to, to, to share experiences, to yeah. learn, like all these different things. Um, but there, there are a lot of things to be mindful of, especially for Christians yeah. where, where there's a lot of like debate or disagreement and you, you just see the worst of men right, um, right. who profess faith, like going back at each other, being unloving. Um, yeah, like being very, yeah, it's a lot of snide comments. Um, so yeah, I think we just, I think you have to be wa wary of that. Um, and I think sometimes when there's issues, especially amongst Christians, sometimes just take it offline, like mm. give that person a call or meet up face to face because there's just some issues that, like there is a watching world yeah, and yeah. we have to be mindful of our witnesses even in the midst of disagreement. Um, what was the question again? Sorry. You know what's so crazy? Yep, Israel. 
I just realized you can see people's likes. Did you not know that? I did not know that. That's how you know he's on his Twitter <laughs> for himself Facts. and yeah, himself. Yeah. Like you can see, which is good. So I'm literally Even now scrolling I... through, and I'm like, all the things I like, people can see it. Yeah, mm-hmm. not wow. necessarily everything, but sometimes you might get a oh so and so like this tweet. Yeah. Or I can yeah. go on your page and actually. I can actually go on your page. Yeah, yeah. like we'll have yeah. tweets, tweets and replies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Media and likes. Wait, yeah. hold on. So this conversation is very like Twitter heavy. It is very Twitter. Which kind of yeah. perhaps speaks to the f- I don't fact know if, that you guys on Facebook. Who's, who's Facebook? Yeah, I don't have but Twitter I don't is have is more inclined. The nature of Twitter is is interaction. So yeah, it, it's interaction heavy, which means there's you're more inclined to have clashes and conflicts and right. things like that, which means that it's more um, susceptible to. Those I think some of those. <laughs> Susceptible. <laughs> you weren't meant to spot that. Oh, I, saw I actually, I actually noticed, <laughs> but you weren't meant to spot it. We were meant to move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just continue. <laughs> Insta, who's on Insta? Uh, a little yeah. bit. A little bit. Not yeah. heavy. Not what heavy. other social media? Snapchat. Uh, Snapchat. Never. Snapchat is then. Is Rihanna said it's over. So when she said it's over, I stopped. I stopped watching Snapchat. Um, <laughs> and then there's Facebook. Facebook, Insta, Snapchat. Twitter. I'm slightly including I think that's WhatsApp. Really WhatsApp slightly. You know, I don't think of WhatsApp as social media. Yeah. But I think I think increasingly it is a bit social media. So with like the fact you Groups, can do video updates, videos, stories. Apart from your stories, I don't because there isn't m- much interaction apart from the person you're directly messaging. Group chats. Unless you're in a group chat. Okay. And group I chats must have missed that when you pop. said it. Yeah, group oh, chats. Yeah. Fair, 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 fair. Wake up and there's like 300 messages in one group chat. <laughs> so yeah, I guess... Um, Avoiding pitfalls, what are your kind of, how do you think about reusing your social media responsibly? That was the question, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Be mindful of people's like consciences, um, mm. things that they struggle with. So I'll just use like a blanket example, but if I was gonna, after here, go to the park, have a bit of copper bag, you know, sit down. <laughs> I might not. I might not tweet that. I might be like off, off to the park. You know, about to get. You know, drink one or two bottles. Like those are things that I think you should be mindful of. Um, so as much as you enjoy, and you're free to enjoy it as Christians, um, in a way that's not sinful. But being mindful of people that are weaker brethren. So yeah, even yeah. I think about that necessarily sometimes in music. Like sometimes I want to tweet something or a song I really like, and I think, oh, I don't know if I can. I don't want now. Someone's gonna think I'm now. Um, endorsing that artist and then like right. mary but this song but what about the others i'm like please yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I try and i try and think of things like that um, fair enough yeah fair enough. i have so my two points are one um i had a terrible experience with social media mm. um back like in 2012 13 um i'm in uni uh get oh, into a group chat um the facebook group <laughs> cage stage yeah 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 and I remember the topic was. I so I got into the library. You know, I'm I'm an early bird kind of like person. So I get into the library like at seven a.m. or whatever. I've sat down. I've set up my desk. You know all that stuff you do. While I'm having my breakfast, I'm like, let me just go on Facebook and entertain myself. Mm. Get into a debate. Spend the whole day. Like I literally spent the whole day till four eight p.m. going back and forth in comments to someone and after could never be me <laughs> person's like oh I have to log off and end it there and I just stepped back and I was like wow I really I really I really me with my own with my own fingers yeah. and my own conscience <laughs> I wasted my day arguing and I didn't convince anyone from that day onwards <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even convi- like from that day onwards I've just been like you know what I will never entertain debates mm. 
via social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mind people making their arc. So like you can so basically I'm still I will still make if I want to, I'll make a point on, on Twitter or yeah, Facebook. Yeah, yeah. But if someone disagrees in the comment section, I won't respond. Right. Because there's there's I, I have never seen any fruit in so that back and forthness on social media. Mm-hmm. And just I think my own bitter experience has meant I don't see any benefit for my own self. Right. Um mm. interesting. I prefer long form back and forth, which I think someone was saying that, you know, back in the days used to be people do books back and forth, which I think I would much rather prefer. So like, no, so, so, you know, <laughs> new, perspective on, new perspective on Paul, right? Right. N.T. Wright did his stuff. And then John Piper spent a huge portion of time writing a book in response. I feel like that's more charitable because it forces you to actually give the hours to consider that yeah, consider that the, yeah, yeah. the actual viewpoint and I, then it, it, I, I would chime in though that i do think there's um an ability that those men have and also a time yeah. that they're able to devote that perhaps isn't easily replicable for the ordinary yeah so i don't i don't mean to make it um the the standard but i think i guess the idea that you give space to consider okay. before you respond is the is the, is the is the aspect of that that I, I appreciate. But I guess I would also say, just on the back of Kingsley's point, there is an ability to be able to articulate your thoughts in such a short space mm. of characters, right? To be able to yeah. argue succinctly and charitably um, mm-hmm. to people. That's something that you shouldn't underplay. If you're able to do that, that's a good thing. Right. Um, so you can write your essays and your tweets at the same time. What was your second thing? Um, there's an article, an, uh, an article blog post by Ligon Duncan on... Uh, Who's Ligon Duncan? Ligon Duncan is the Chancellor of the Reformed Theological Seminary in the US. Um, and he has an article titled A 10-Point Social Media Strategy, which I'd recommend for anyone listening to read on social media. They're very succinct, so I, 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 I'll, I'll actually just read them out. Um in brief because i think he does a good job of yeah, creating he, he a, captured one of my approach points. to social media that's healthy one relentlessly encourage edify and inform two ignore trolls mockers and slanderers into oblivion oh we don't three starve <laughs> desensitize e! can i even read desensitize desensi- help me desensitize <laughs> dissensionists Dissensionists. Oh, okay. So we know who's GCSE superior. <laughs> Staff <laughs> dissensionists, narcissists, and errorists of the attention they crave. Wow. He could have made that easier though. Trust. <laughs> Trust. He said you would know that I graduated. <laughs> Four, point people to sound people and resources. Five, exalt Christ, Bible, grace, truth, gospel. Six, stay out of food fights. Don't lob hand grenades into serious discussions. Bring people together. Seven, be be kind. Persuade rather than rally. Eight, treat people on social media like I would treat them in person. Mm. Nine, don't be different on social media from what I am in my life, mm. family, church, and ministry. Be the same person online and offline. Mm. Ten, don't give inordinate attention to people whose only platform is social media and who elsewhere have little accountability or responsibility. I agree. Shout out, Lincoln. Yeah, something. Um, that was really good. There. Yeah, excellent. I think that's points. a healthy approach to social yeah. media, definitely. So, just because we were thinking about um, gospel for black millennials, mm-hmm. and obviously one of the things that has emerged on social media, black Twitter, mm. it has its own kind of moniker. <laughs> it's an established. Fiat 500 Twitter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there are actually established 
Dem- demographics yeah. um, on social media. Thinking about this question, do you think there are any things maybe particular to like a black Twitter that you would you would say um, about using your your social media responsibly? Black Twitter as an example. The only thing I think of is is trauma, because I noticed this was some of the, the conversation with the movie, uh, the Netflix documentary, not oh. documentary, movie documentary. I don't know what when they it. see us. Yeah. yeah. What, what is that? Is that oh, it's, it's, a movie. It's, it's a movie based on real life. Did he say, right. what, 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 huh? what are you dying for? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> He's over there giggling. Yeah. What happened? He said trauma. <laughs> oh. You want to say trauma? Oh, Why did you say trauma? I thought, you know what? I thought, I thought you were saying, I thought you were saying something else. I thought you were saying drama. Drama, trauma. <laughs> so what are you trying to say, drama? I can't speak. This you is the third. drama or trauma? Trauma. Oh, oh I thought you were trying to say brother. drama. This is the third instance. That meat pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying both, trauma. Let's go, let's go. Uh, what was my point even? When so someone us. on Twitter was basically saying, you know, our narrative as black people can't be exclusively the injustices and issues that we face, although that's obviously an important thing that needs to be addressed and that we need to look after ourselves in regards to the kinds of things we expose ourselves to. Because if the only thing on Twitter that we talk about, only thing on social media that we debate is the injustices and the issues, that's actually uh, harmful um, because it robs us of the genuine joy, um, health and vitality that is a credible part of the black experience. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's a unique... uh, I don't want to say temptation, but issue, danger with Black Twitter where you can get so consumed in the justice conversations and in the race conversations that you actually are doing a lot of harm to because that's all you're exposing yourself to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say just be careful um, that you are also spending time to see healthy uh, images of the Black experience mm. in social media. Mm. I don't think the thing that I would add, so I, I add two points. Um so I'll do three really quickly. The one on, on particular to this point, but I think it's more for millennials as it is to black millennials, is I think in our generation, um, what we see often is different slants of things that have been historically taken place. So when we think about sort of things like the pride of life and so on, in our modern age, if we were contextualizing that language, one of the things we might focus on is clout. And we would use that as the language, be careful not to be so concerned by clout, by Mm. popularity. And I'm always taken aback by understanding Christ's teaching in light of our age, where there's a big importance around popularity, clout, having friends, being seen to be social, being everywhere all the time, being invited to everything. When you're thinking about social media, Christ says things like associate with the lowly. And like the more I reflect on that, when I'm thinking about my social media engagement, are you the type of person through your social media that gives the impression that there is only a certain class of people that can sit with you? Or are you the type of person that gives the indication that you are open to all? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's that informs how you interact with people. So is, is the way I choose to interact with Mary on social media different to the way I choose to interact with Michaela on social media different on the basis of my perceived view of mary's worth because of her popularity clout etc and it's different from michaela the two things i wanted to say prior to that um is ephesians use of time israelite hit the nail on the head 
But again, social media is one of those things that it was created in such a way that you would want to spend all your time on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the, the the ideas around sort of dopamine and so on. The is currency is attention. Yeah. Precisely. And so you have to be careful that you don't use your time unwisely. So contrary to how Efe- Paul in Ephesians would have you use your time. Mm. Um, and then the second thing, again, I think Lincoln Duncan sort of said it in better words than I, w- I would say it. But I would say when you are interacting on social media, be careful to ensure that whatever words you put out are words you would be comfortable putting out if you were one-to-one with the person that mm-hmm. you're interacting yeah. with. Um, if you are able to do that, I mean, in some cases, maybe you shouldn't be comfortable in person saying those things. <laughs> that's, right. an, that's an aside. I'll be that all the time. Yeah. I'll take the I'm like, Fair you enough. shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, but like, if you are on social media, just mm. be aware that you're not having a contradictory who you are in person in terms of interacting with someone um, and who you are on social media in terms of interacting with someone. So watch the clapbacks. Be careful of that, you know. Be careful. Snarky, about, yeah. Be careful of all of that. And also be aware that when you're reading something, you can't read for tone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So also be careful of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be something that can be quite sort of like mm. insight, difficulties and challenges. Okay. Cool. Mm. Next question. Next question. We're 25 minutes in, so we might need to move with spit pace if oh. we're trying to get rid of somebody's <laughs> yeah, other yeah, questions. We might not get through all of these, you know. Okay, <laughs> during the live show, someone said that you cannot believe the prosperity gospel and be saved. But if you don't know a person's heart, how can you say this? Who said that? So that's a reference. Oh, you're, yeah, just close. I'm slow today. Wow. Oh, it was you that said that? No, no, no. I know what Mary was getting at. Oh, Sorry, oh, I just oh, my... oh, yeah. I just, <laughs> I just, I just... <laughs> <laughs> that, that took me way longer than it should have. Yeah, yeah. yeah so how will we yeah. respond? Um, how can you? So I would. St- there, are, there are two. There are actually two answers to this question, which is weird. And it, it depends on how we read the first statement of the person said. You can't be saved if you believe in the prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first answer to the question is that that argument is based not on interaction, but on logical steps of theological ideas. That the very the very uh, nature or premise of the prosperity gospel is not in line with the gospel mm-hmm. that you find in the scriptures mm-hmm. and therefore if you believe that what you you are not believing the gospel that's in the scriptures so the line the line of logic is that's a different gospel therefore if you believe it you haven't believed the true gospel and if you haven't believed the true gospel therefore you can't they, be saved yeah, yeah because salvation and faith is predicated on the true gospel and not this other one that you believe so that's less about oh i've met this person and I've made the conclusion that I don't think they're a Christian based on what they believe. It's more has to do with like the abstract ideas. Yeah. Um, however, I think what this person is assuming um, roughly is that it's based on the, on the experience of, I met someone who goes to a church that preached the prosperity gospel. We had a conversation and I left thinking they're not a Christian. Um, how can you know that if you don't know the person's heart? And I say in that, in that idea, the person is right that right ish right 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 okay so when i say right i mean in terms of you can't the person's right you can't know someone's heart that Mm -hmm. that point is correct Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so that's what i mean by right but i know what you mean by right ish in terms of 
but you can't divorce that from the actual belief issues of the prosperity gospel and what it contains. So the the statement you can't know someone's heart is true. Yes. Yeah. However, when someone outlines what they believe, based on how it's that can be indicative. You, yeah, you can make yeah. indications. Yeah. So you can say, for example, and I'm using a, a basic example just to prove the point. If a Muslim comes to me and says, I do not believe Jesus Christ was the one who actually died on the cross. It was Judas Iscariot. Um, the resurrection never happened. I could say, well, you're not a Christian. Precisely. So that's 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 not me judging their heart. That's what me following their logical steps that they've outlined to me and saying, based on that, you don't actually match up to what the historic Christian church has always stated. Yeah. Um, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't really know what to add after that. I think that's quite comprehensive. Yeah, Mary, did I you agree. want to add anything? No, I agree with you totally, Israel. I think, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, are there more subtle versions of the prosperity gospel that we need to be weary of? And I think that question is asked in light of the sort of more exuberant versions where you go to a church congregation and it's mm. pray for your breakthrough because you're going to get this amount of money, et cetera, mm. et cetera. See this, you'll get mm. this amount of money. So are there yeah, there was um, other forms? I think uh, Kosti Hin, who's Benny Hinn's mm. uh, nephew, has this book about, um, I can't remember the title, but it's something about the prosperity gospel. Um, I feel so bad, I can't remember the title. But uh, one of the things he said is sometimes when we think about the prosperity gospel, we think of it in terms of like private jets, Lamborghinis, Benz, mm. like all of those things. It's very extreme. And I think sometimes he says like the subtle versions of the prosperity gospel is just not having a, an adequate view of suffering. So just thinking that you're never going to go through any issues. Oh, thank you, Kingsley. The book is called God, Greed and the Prosperity Gospel. How mm. Truth Overwhelmed a Life Built on Lies by Costi Hinn. It's actually not out. It's out in August. Yeah. Because that was one of the books I wanted yeah. to give out, but yeah. it's not out. But it, yeah, good book. I haven't read it, but... It's, oh. coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming out in August. It's good book. Good that, book. That is um, not how we usually do our book reviews. <laughs> when it comes out, we'll review it formally. But um, but wait, just not not just not um, believing that you're not you're gonna go through yeah. any sort of suffering, that there won't be any issues in your life. And I think a lot of times that was something that I always thought of, like growing up, thinking like, oh, I don't have any issues, I don't have any problems, and and actually um, framing that in a way of like, oh, God's gonna keep me he's, he's never gonna he wouldn't mm. want to make me see pain like why would he want me to lose people or have suffering or be a long spell in sadness and all those just different things and i think those are the subtle things that sometimes we believe and even when you speak to people who are going through suffering mm. one of their kind of um accusations against god can be but i'm his child like why mm. would he like why would he do that to me and it's like you've have you believed the subtle version of the prosperity gospel um so that's one of the one of the things i would say dammy are there any that you can think of? Other subtle variations of the prosperity gospel. None come to mind um, immediately. Um, I'm just trying to think through some of the things that I've heard previously. I um, mean, I guess just in dealing with the prosperity gospel, one of the fundamental um, issues that I find is that it really robs God of his glory in the true gospel of salvation being about Christ coming into the world to save sinners. Mm -hmm. Um and instead, it makes you think that God sent his son into the world to improve your material life um, or your physical life to the extent that um, how your sin is dealt with um, mm. is a secondary um, issue. Um, and that's a real, really, really um, distorted view um, of what the scriptures teach about Christ's 
God, sorry, God's purpose in sending Christ into the world. Amen to that. Um, final thought from me before we move on to the next question um, is I think going towards what we're thinking about with regards to black millennials, we are coming into a generation where there's a lot of social mobility um, and one of the gospels we can believe is the gospel of the mortgage, the marriage and the children um, and having that sort of like life in that sense. So it's not flagrant, um, but it is something that we can believe and we can be um, missing the focus. So those things are good things. Those things are not wrong things. Those things are things that God can gift and they're not sinful at all. But if our focus shifts away from who God is, what God has done in the gospel, and we prize those things above, then we're again moving towards a desire for prosperity and not the God of prosperity. Um, next question. My phone's going to die soon, you know. <laughs> Ooh. Um, are there things prosperity churches like SPAC do well that the church generally ignores? The question here is assuming that SPAC nation falls into their definition of prosperity churches. So are there things that prosperity churches do well that the church ignores, doesn't do well? Are you about to say no? Wow. <laughs> As no. in there are there are no things that the prosperity church, gospel teaching churches do well. No, I was going to say there are things SPAC does well. Right, I don't know okay. about prosperity gospel churches right, right, in right. general. Um, so I know SPACs work in terms of um, social justice, social action, especially in dealing with um, gang violence and drug use and things like that has been exceptional. Mm -hmm. um, I think in all, like in all serious terms, they've done, and I mean, they, 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 they know it and they state it very clearly and it's, it's visible for everyone to see um, from Christians to even the government and um, those who are in that sectile industry. It's clear to see that they do uh, a huge amount of work and they do it well in terms of being able to really draw people out of that lifestyle and into uh, spaces of entrepreneurship and um, financial independence, uh, which I think says a lot and is something that other churches should be looking at and learning from. Mm. Um, because, yeah, I'll just say, sorry yeah. to cut you off. That was one of the quite remarkable things that I think mm. Mary, I, Richard Topper, who actually visited um, Kingsley too. Kingsley too, sorry, my bro. Um, it was just Israel and Gabby that didn't. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for calling us out. Appreciate um, it. <laughs> but it, it was it was it was quite like wow to see, for mm. example, somebody leave a knife on the altar. Mm. The police come by after the service to pick it up, mm. um, have a conversation with. I don't know whether they're church leadership or some kind of ushers about the kind of follow-up steps in dealing with that person, whether that person needs uh, not just um, to speak to the police about previous issues, but also counselling, yeah. um, those kinds of issues. Those are, I, I mean, any, any well-meaning Christian would want to see a reduction in violent crime. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that I'm at least pleased with Is that what the work allows. Sorry, sorry. I'm so sorry. Israel's friends is beeping. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I was just, just chiming in on that point because it was, it was actually something we saw in action, mm. um, which, which I would, would say is commendable on SPAC's part. Um, yeah. So are these things that you guys think um, other churches should be implementing in the same way? Should there be a focus on these things? 
uh, should that focus be related to your own context? So, yes. Yeah. Is that yes to everything? Mm. Yeah, no. uh, yeah, uh, yes to everything. In terms of um, churches should be mindful of um, visitors, what things they struggle with, things they need support with, um, finding ways to serve, particularly. So I, I can think of an example, if you live in an area where there's a lot of homelessness, one of the areas you can to look to, to fix. Um, if you live in a, a village area or area with a lot of families and wanting to engage uh, children. Um, so yeah, th- these are all wanting to really understand the 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 psychology of the visitor that comes and just try and find ways to support them physically um because that's just a great um witness of the church in wanting to of course ultimately give you the gospel but also wanting to serve you as well um Mm -hmm. uh, as those who are followers of christ and want to serve others yeah i think it was a question that i actually asked um on the second panel um i was asking pastor kende or mataya but more broadly um just whether churches are prepared to receive some of the um, people that a church likes back, for example, regularly has attend their services. So we're talking about um, former gang members, ex-offenders, um, people who are still like, for example, carrying drugs or knives. Mm. How well are, I think the question, the term I phrased was conservative churches um, prepared to receive these people. And one of the really interesting points that I think Israel raised was that there are churches now who are establishing kind of like counseling um, and trauma kind mm-hmm. of therapy um, teams to be able to deal with some of the issues that um, young men, young women from yeah. those backgrounds are facing. Yeah. Um, and if we could have more of that kind of thoughtful concern as to mm. how to deal with those issues for mm. the people we are trying to evangelize to, that would definitely be welcome. Yeah. Um, and and again, like Mary said, an effective witness to the church's concern for the wider community as well yeah. as its own mm. congregants. Mm. Yeah. Um, I know, so, yes, the, the, a, approaching and being mindful of the wider social issues that people bring with them to the churches, I think it's crucially important. And it's, I think it's kind of like a, a rebuke on to the historical approach that evangelicalism has taken in terms of reducing it to just a matter of um, giving them some information um, about Jesus Christ, about the Bible, and then expecting them to receive it, because what what evangelicalism being ma- majority, and this is this is I think across the West, being mainly a middle class um, reality mm. means that people who enter a, an evangelical church typically come from a well off background, and so they have a social network and social um, dynamic that allows them to receive the gospel in a much more easier way because they don't have these other concerns that readily captivate their minds. Whereas someone who's coming from a um, a history of gang violence or low-income community has such a number of things that actually make it hard to really receive the message in all its fullness. And if you go in and you ignore all of that, you're not creating the social space that allows them to receive it. And that's what SPAC has done well in terms of their message. They've, they have this message and they say, we're going to create the social space that allows you to receive it. We're not just going to leave you there and then carry on preaching it to you, but we're going to get you um, into counselling. We're going to take the guns and knives off of you. We're going to put you... Reha- I mean, the BBC Three... Yeah. Um, they literally rehoused people yeah, so they're houses. outside of the trap house and all these other places where someone might be looking for them 
and now they're in a safe space somewhere in, in, in Kent's random place or whatever. They're like, oh, all of that burden, that fear that someone might come and get me is gone. And now when Pastor Toby sits down to talk to them, of course it's far easier for them to listen yeah. because they're not thinking, oh, yo, it's about nine o'clock. I can't, I can't be in this, yeah. I can't be in this area at this time. All of that issues, all of those issues have left them and they are free to hear what he has to say. And that I that's that's literally how it should be right. um, for churches where we say, let's get all of that out, all these barriers, let's get them out of the way so that when we then sit down and have a Bible study, we can actually do it properly. And I know that I'm caring for the whole person. Mm. I'm not just treating you like a brain on a stick. But I guess the concern that arises in our conversations mm. and from the event is once you've kind of done that introductory part, that allows mm. the person to come in what are they actually hearing yeah 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 so that was more that was the specific issue with mm. um respect that we took up i think in the live show where the the way they create the social space is really good and we have to commend that the message they give once that space has been created is where the problem lies um, because it, actually, it doesn't actually address the heart issues of the human um it seems i think i think it just seeks to create you know like a a, a a new version, a millennial version of the prosperity gospel, um, is then given to to the to the listener after they've been um, looked after in terms of their whole being. I think the final the the, the 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 final point I would also add on that is the church is the only community in the world where I think um, there is a comp- there ought to be when the church is functioning well, there ought to be um, no pride of place prominence given to those with or without resource yeah i think a lot of the book of james is trying to make the point that don't be like the world and how they assess the worth of a person Mm. um don't look at their resource their their money and say their value is attributable to that and i think just going a bit macro that's because in james's mind he understands that God gives riches and he does it according to his own will. So it's not necessarily just because Israel's a smart person and he's been good at investment banking and he's managed to get his money, but actually sovereignly over and above that, God is the one who gave him that mind and do that. And then the person who's without, God is the one who has providentially allowed for a situation to come by where that person might find themselves in that situation. God is sovereign over above the rich and the poor. And those things can change like that. Yeah. Um, Daniel chapter four, is it King Nebuchadnezzar? He goes from one day being the guy, basically. And again, there's a flick and there's this long and lengthy period where he effectively becomes like a madman. Like his nails grow extensively long. I'm not saying that's the sort of guy for being a madman. <laughs> Everyone's but, looking at their nails. <laughs> but there is that sense in which the riches that you want, he once had, the status that he once had, is gone in an instant. Um, similar with Job, where he experienced a great deal of prosperity at God's hand, and then um, for sovereign reasons above Job's knowledge, he went through a period of lack, a lack of resource, a period of poverty. And the thing to take from that is God's disposition towards Job did not change. Mm. Um, and so the, the, the believer that finds themselves in that situation of a, of a lack, particularly those who find themselves in that position where they're hearing prosperity, uh, preaching and teaching, I want to tell you that when you look at the book of Job, when he was rich in our eyes or where he was poor in our eyes, he was not any more loved 
by God in any of those circumstances. Um, Christ died for the rich, for the poor. Christ died for the wealthy, for the low income person. Christ died for all of us because we all fall under the, the bigger banner, the more important banner in terms of relationship to God as sinners. And that is your identity of being found in Christ is more important than your identity of being found as a rich or poor person in this world. And I'm going to end here and just say, but if none of that, none of that, I, I think is good, none of that appeals to you. None of that appeals to you. Um, Christ promises us treasures in heaven. Mm. Um, he promises us treasures in heaven where someone can't come away and steal them. Um, he can't, they can't come away. It won't rust. Christ yeah. promises us eternal treasures in heaven. And that's all of grace. And that to me is a better place to be than in a world system where today you could be up and tomorrow you might be down. Yeah. And I, th I think it, um, I can't remember the question, but I think eradication of poverty, I think, um, does really challenge the church, especially the, the millennial church. When we talk about like social mobility, a lot of us are earning money. Um, um, and, how how given are we to the church how how are we supporting those who are not well off um yeah. i always think of proverbs free um i think it's a, it's a it's something someone asks you for money like don't say come back i'll give it to you later like give it to you but give it to them while you have it so it's like how are we stewarding our money is it because we've we've been poor in our saving or in, in in spending money that when people are poor we actually have no money to give them anymore um and and this is just things that churches should be mindful of in terms of wanting the way we give in a way that we can support brethren. I think of the early church when they, they sold their possessions to support the work of the gospel, to support each other. Mm. And I think, yeah, as as time goes along, we are going to see an idol of money having to really challenge our hearts and to say, Lord, am I loving money too much? Am I loving pleasure too much? Am I not doing it in a way where I'm not serving others? Um, and just, just really repenting and, and changing. For some of us, God keeping us without massive resource might be the means by which god keeps our soul fam that's me i won't lie to you i remember 2011 yeah <laughs> no one judged me but i went to <laughs> i went to a casino yeah this was it's such a random i was in gibraltar because my brother was working in gibraltar uh -oh. so we went to like this mini it was not even a casino like a big casino it's not vegas it was just like a small casino yeah my brother gave me some like i don't even remember how much he gave me i got chips i was doing all these different things my heart i was just like this is why God can't give me money. <laughs> like, I generally think God is able to know, okay, your heart is not good with money. Right. Like just, and I think, yeah, like that is one of the ways that God, God keeping you poor will keep your soul. <laughs> I'm not lying to you. Like, God, like not everyone can be rich. Like I know everyone wants to get the bag, but even praying that the Lord will give you the amount that you need. Um, mm. Yeah, some people become millionaires and they forget the Lord. Please. Yeah, yeah mm. no way. And I guess maybe just on that last point about God giving you what you need, reminded Matthew 6, um, how the Lord provides for the sparrows, how he clothes the lilies. Um, the Lord will always make sure that um, you are kept sufficiently. Um, so do not be anxious about tomorrow in that sense. Yeah. Or about where your wealth is coming from. Quick question to you guys. There's an instance in the gospel, um, or the gospel accounts, where an, uh, Christ is interacting with someone um, and the words that he... There's an interaction that happens wherever people are kind of like, oh, what's like, what were you doing kind of thing? And Christ, I think Christ's words are um, the poor you always have with you. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know how far you guys take take that understanding. Um, but I do think there is something to be said for in a world of sin um, where you see sins like greed, you'll see sins like pride and so on. Yeah. I think whilst the eradication of poverty is a n noble thing to aspire to, and I think in some sense we might want to and should maybe aspire towards that, um, 
I think there is a sense in which because we live in a fallen world, we might never really attain that goal. Um, and again, that those kind of things where you see the the, 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 the the fallenness of the world should make us long for a world um, that's perfect. I mean, the follow-up question was actually going to be, to what extent should we strive for justice and equality, e.g. the eradication of poverty, while knowing that the world will ultimately perish? King said just answered that question. <laughs> Although, I, I, I don't know, do you think he's answered it fully in the sense that there's still not work to be done there in is, the community? Yeah, there is work to be done. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we strive, but we know ultimately in this world, we, we may never ever be able to eradicate poverty completely. But is that like a fatalistic um, like way to kind of look, look at things? Like I appreciate what you're saying in the sense that we strive. But it, you obviously don't want to go to the extreme that says, well, this world is never going to be perfect. Therefore, you know, I can only do so much yeah. should your so much actually be as much as I can yeah I, th I think Mary's words are good and I think the emphasis is, is important mm -hmm. and Mary says strive mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that is more than simply doing something that you can that's doing what is in your ability to do mm -hmm. is pushing yourself is stretching yourself yeah it's in that sense being rich in good works yeah. mm. um, and I think it's it's an important thing that we we, we note that when um, Paul is talking in Titus, he says one of the reasons for which Christ died is that the people of God will be zealous for good, good works. works. Mm. Yeah. And mm. that can be according to your gift. If you're like really disposed, you have a heart towards social mobility and, and all these kind of things um, in your church setting or outside of your church setting, really giving yourself to that work, to being doing good works in that way. Um, and at the same time, you have, I think the rest that comes with knowing but this is not my abiding home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is an eternal place of rest for me. If I don't see what I desire in this lifetime now, that is not the end because I will see more than I've learned to desire in this world and the next. And mm -hmm. I think that's that's where I think sometimes um, if you don't have that perspective, when you're trying to deal with some of these social issues or otherwise, you can get to a stage of, big frustration because mm. it always has to be done instantly has to be done mm. now it has to be done mm. in my lifetime i have to be that mm. person but if you have a sort of a, a longer term eschatological perspective yeah. i think it gives you a freedom to work hard for the lord but not to work with a heart that is saying lord and if you don't do this thing now in my time then i'm going to grow cold towards you there was a um i, I didn't read it extensively um a phd thesis by someone either from Durham or St. Andrews on international development as the modern um, eschatology. Um, and basically the idea being that in an in a age where we've removed God and tried to create a purely secular realm, um, international development politics has become our new heavens and new earth. Right. So everything has to be realized now because we know there is nothing beyond this world. Once we die, that's it. And so our salvation... Yeah. is reduced to how much can we improve society and that's our only hope and so obviously naturally that leads to a frustration when you don't see um, as much progress being made as you would like because you think well if we don't make the progress then there is no salvation there is no we have to realize the new heaven and new earth and if we don't do that through the developments we have in society then ultimately we, we are creating the hell on earth right now um, To just to add to your point there were, there were two other things I wanted to add um i'm trying to remember the second one now oh snap <laughs> first one um was i remember it oh, the first one was a uh, in 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 adding to 
the comments that Kingsley made about uh, Jesus Christ saying that, you know, the poor will always be among you. That quote is actually, or not that quote, those words from Jesus Christ are um, allusions to Deuteronomy 15, um, where Jesus, where, where God, Jesus Christ, we read in Deuteronomy 15, uh, in verse 11, for they will never cease to be the poor, to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. And what is interesting is that the whole Deuteronomy 15, the entire chapter is really talking about the posture that the Israelites should take to the poor in the in the community and to, the, and to sort of the needs that people have around them. Um, and the very motivation for a posture of generosity and charity is the fact that there will always be poor people present. Right. So there will always be work to be done. Mm. And so um, there's like this, there's this tension that, that now exists. One, we will never completely eradicate poverty in our lifetime because there will always be the poor in the land. That statement is is, is, a, is, a, is a factual statement made about the reality of the situation. However, it pushes against the, tem- um, the temptation that you mentioned, Dami, about then developing the attitude of why bother? Mm-hmm. Because then God says, no, that shouldn't be a reason to re- push, to move away and say, oh, because poor, poor people will always be here, there's no point trying. That's the very reason why you should lunge deeper into the work right. because there will always be need for the work. You will never reach a place where you'd be like, oh, we finished it now. Mm. We're done. So because that's true, throw yourself into it. Keep your 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 arms, um, your hands wide open. Your hands, arms, hands wide open. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Both work. Both work. <laughs> wide open and continue to be generous. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I want to mention is in Revelation 21, uh, there's a... In, which describes the new heavens and the new earth. There's a line where, um, this line has forever changed my worldview and everything, um, that says, it's describing the new heavens and the new earth, um, John writes that the kings will bring their glory into it. Um, and that that line really mentions the fact that everything that is good, that humans have created that is good on earth right now, actually enters the new heavens and the new earth. So I don't actually agree with the questioner's statement at the end where they say, this world will perish. That's not true. It will be renewed and mm. made glorious. We're going to live here on this earth forever. Right. We're not staying in clouds after Jesus Christ returns and dancing on clouds for eternity. This the new the new this earth will be recreated and everything that is good on the earth will stay. So it's a it's a and I think in in second Peter I think it's, it's, it's almost like a purification where the evil is banished. The good remains and is made even more perfect. Um, and so the goodness and the glories of this present world do not end. So all the all the good we contribute to the world, which is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, your work is not in vain. Because all the good that we contribute to the world, all the, all the good that we do for the Lord actually remains forever. Um, and I think that's a motivation for us that while we know that we will not perfect this world here and now, that we are actually seeking the true perfection that will come in the new heavens and the new earth and we know that what the kingdom does here stays in in in, in into eternity through the new heavens and the new earth just reading the listener's question mm-hmm. again and I'm, I'm just wondering if there is a potentially a sort of second way of reading that okay okay so when the person says to what extent should we strive for justice and equality mm. for example the eradication of poverty while knowing that the world will ultimately perish mm. 
um, if we understand world in a different way and we talk about people who make up the world, um, so the church and the world in that sense, does that change our answers at all? If that's the slant they were trying to get? It, it changes the way I would answer the question because then I would, I would, I would still disagree, but at a different point. So if, per, if perishing in terms of like people going to hell and so on, you mean? Yeah. Then, if that's then how they it, it, it. it changes, it changes the way I would answer, but then I, I would point to, I think in, instead to the idea that while that may be true, um, those humans here on earth are image bearers. Mm. And so we don't, we don't adjudicate the worth of someone's needs based on their eternal destination which we, we don't know at this yeah stage. we adjudicate based on their on the present true true reality of who they are right now as image bearers and so we know that not only are we called to generosity and to justice and to good works by god but that th these people are worthy of dignity and respect and are worthy of our pursuit for their justice and their equitable status in society um, just for who they are in and of themselves, irrespective of what happens to them post this life that they live here on earth. Mm. So that would so that I would I would respond at that angle if we read it that way. But that's a good point. I didn't I didn't pick up on that reading it like that. Yeah. Do you clock the legal term equitable rather than equal? Do you think that adds anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, I say equitable because that's what that's what Israel said. Mm. But I guess because one of the charges that is laid at, perhaps we may mm. actually come into yeah. this conversation later, is the fact that people are pining for everybody having the same stuff, which if you listen to some circles, mm. is um, cultural Marxism. Um, <laughs> Subtweet. Which is, <laughs> which, is, which is not necessarily what is being advocated for mm. um, mm -hmm. when you say equitable. Um, rather, I think that is just a uh, reflection of resources being shared to the extent that people's needs are met for yeah. as opposed to everybody having yeah. the same thing. Yeah. And you know, the Bible in, in the Old Testament, you do find unequal treatment of people based on their needs. Mm -hmm. That, you know, um, uh, I think, yeah, Proverbs 31, the king is told to speak up for the poor but not to speak up for everyone because some people can speak up for themselves mm -hmm. people with money can they can really make their voices heard mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but a person who's the orphan can't make their voices heard and actually there should be unequal treatment in the sense that because of the difference in needs you will give things to certain people that you wouldn't give to others um, and just for those who are saying cultural marxist i would say hey john calvin says pretty much the same thing um in his literally in his uh Commentary on Romans 13, which I had to do my dissertation on. So I'm speaking from, I think, a sensible degree of... You go, Israel. <laughs> you toot your horn. Um, he, he, he points out um, in the civil magistrates and their work of justice that they should um, give unequal amount of time to the poor and destitute. And he uses those particular words that God requires the civil magistrates and the government to essentially have a high degree of welfare within um, their political philosophy um, because their job is to protect their citizens. And it should recognize that people, some people need more protection than others based on the fact that some are more vulnerable and more exposed than other people. Yeah.
comprehensive. Mm. Calvin's the guy. I I start quoting Calvin now when people are like, "That's that's just Marxism." I'm like, yeah. So Calvin before Marxism was even born, before his grandparents were even born, was he a Marxist? Why did I put the accent? Like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it would have not usually for viewers. Well. Yeah, I know. I'm really used to that one, are we? Yeah. You're not going to continue that in the US. Are you? <laughs> Didn't think so. It might go down well in the US. <laughs> that would love. Anyway, let me stop. Alright, we got a couple more questions. Um, how should young Christians serve and fellowship with one another, especially in a cultural climate that is becoming more individualistic and unsociable? What's the first part? How should young Christians serve and fellowship with one another, especially in a cultural climate that is becoming more individualistic and unsociable? I would um, emphasize the importance of the local church. Um, in terms of, because when I think of people being individualistic, I think the opposite of that is is community in the church. So so being mm. very um, active um, and intentional when you're in uh, with the body of believers. Um, so yeah, d- just challenging each other, being open with each other, listening, singing, preaching, everything, and also um, hospitality as well. So opening your homes when you can, or meeting people and and, and stuff like that. So in my local church context, there's so many uh, young. Uh, people who are really good at that um, just opening their homes different um, people who they don't speak to uh, or just different groups uh, just bringing them over and really beginning to speak to them and and having good conversations mm. where you're able to challenge each other because I think social media again you can easily just be a lone wolf um, so you come to church the service is finished you leave straight yeah. away you don't speak to anyone or when you do it's very high bye mm. see you later um, and yeah so just being very mindful of that and um whilst you're in church really soaking up the whole um the importance of the community because we, we do need each other hmm. i think of a hezekiah walker song i need you to survive <laughs> that song if anyone knows that song that song bangs i asked if you know the song for hezekiah walker i need you to survive yeah yeah, yeah song bangs. i asked if you know the song don't know who that is he's oh. a gospel singer Look oh. at you. he's sick just showing yourself um <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I, I feel no sense of conviction about that none none uh, I couldn't name the song to be honest, to be honest. Uh, um, uh, yeah I think um, two points tied into Mary's on fellowship Romans 12 when speaking about the marks of a true Christian what mm. it encourages you to do is to love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honour mm. um, be prepared to meet the needs of the saints those are ways in which Christians can fellowship and um, kind of as a repost to um, the suggestion that society is becoming more individualistic and unsociable. However, I'm not sure that I necessarily agree agree that society is becoming more individualistic Hmm. and unsociable. Contrarian. (laughs) Why why don't you agree? I mean, part of the conversation that we were having about social media was the interconnectedness that it, it allows and fosters um, between people um, and increasingly you're being able to connect with people. Now, I appreciate this is not always kind of like face-to-face kind of contact, so you have to allow for that. But increasingly you are allowed to connect with people who you've never met before um, in other kinds of scenarios. I wonder if that person may, I don't know, what, what comes to mind when I'm thinking about individualistic mm is um sorry sorry i don't know why i made that uh, first thing that maybe came to come came to my mind was like 
the effect of austerity, for example. Okay. Where you've seen he went so deep. He went no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, sorry. Whoa. No, no, no. Whoa. No, just just because okay. what that has what that has produced in terms of like the necessity for food banks, the increase in homelessness, and stuff right. That okay. We've seen. Okay. Um, whether that is what that person may be using as an indication of society's trend towards um, individualism um, and stuff, and if that is what they have in mind, well, we've already discussed how the church can pick up the slack. Yeah. Um, in in some sense there, but yeah, I'm not I'm not sure that. I think we are. You I think, think we are. Yeah. Yeah. Even when it's like I ask someone question like, "What's your neighbor's name?" and they're like, "I don't know." Did like, you know your neighbor's name? <laughs> yeah. So I have the neighbor to my right. He's lived there. Shout out, Bill. He's never gonna listen to this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah. But laughs> he's lived there for like four years. The neighbor on my left. There's there's too many of them. Like, they're new every uh, tenants. So I don't know who uh, they are. Okay. But like, I think we are becoming individualistic. Even social media point to our growing sense and of I think, individualism. I, I mean, I I read the individualism more as a, a philosophy of approach as opposed to like we are we live isolated from mm-hmm. other people, and and in that sense. I think it is definitely more individualistic in terms of you are th- essentially the final arbitrator of your own life. Like you, th- the the spheres of authority and decision making and um, I don't know autonomy they end with with the individual person. Right. Um, truth comes out of you. Um, it doesn't come from outside into you. All these different expressions of individualism, where people don't actually have a say. Um, in how you order your life things like that I think point to it so even in our social media um, interconnectedness the moment someone starts to push back or to give you a contrary idea block unfollow me yeah <laughs> and, it's, and it's like well, I'm the final decider of my life and right. there's absolutely no accountability mm-hmm. no responsibility no interdependence on anyone else other than myself so I might be connected to you but I am free any point to cut you off like without even having to have a conversation right. a dialogue procedure what procedure for who like you're out of my life like in the blink of an eye that's i think that's the individualism we see i hear that and so the remedy that church fellowship provides accountability responsibility process you like you know challenges are required of you um and so even in the harshness and difficulties of disagreement and conflict you have to go through. You have to go through those difficult waters with someone. Um, you you're not, you know, interdependence means that you're not free to just cut ties at will. Not that cutting ties is never a thing, but that there there does need to be substantial engagement. Could because we recognise that actually we aren't fully. Um, we need other people to sh- to show us things in our lives that we can't see for ourselves. The false idea in individualism is that. I am complete enough to understand me apart from anyone else. But that's not actually true. That because God has made us interdependent, we need other people to help us even understand just ourselves. And that someone might say something about us that we can't see and we need to say, hold on, I'm, I know I'm limited. So let me actually hear what they have to say. Let me process it. Let me consider it seriously because they can see things in me that I can't see in myself. That's what church offers. Um, and I think that's what, that, yeah, like, like Mary said, that's what the community of the Christian faith gives you that makes you whole. And as that, that's how the church is a sanctifying force in your life, in a very real sense. Yep. Calm. Everyone says they want community and deep friendship. Oh, Tim Keller. However, because it takes accountability and commitment, we run the other way. Hmm. I think 
Mm. The thing for young people to do in our generation in particular, where assuming the listeners or the writer, the the questioners, um, question is correct. In the age where people are more individualistic and unsociable, let's be a generation of people, as young, young Christian people who embrace community, who embrace accountability, and the difficulties, challenges, and sometimes messiness Ugh. that that brings, mm. um, nice. because that is for our good. Um, so I think that's 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 what I would say. And I'm just from an evangelistic perspective. Mm. Um, I think when Christians are countercultural, it always opens up a question of why are you not like us, um, and that that can be an opportunity for mm. you to um, speak the gospel in that context. Yeah, I submit myself to my eldership because of X and the window for talking about Christ and mm. how he submits to the will of his father. And you can use that for just a number of different ways to sort of have a gospel advance. Now, again, don't be crazy. Like not every time you're different is because of Christianity. Sometimes you're just different. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there are genuinely... <laughs> there are genuinely... Don't sort of conflict instances. the two. Yeah, yeah. there are oh. genuinely instances where... <laughs> Yeah, this kind of thing can be a yeah. good way to have a gospel yeah. conversation with someone. Yeah. I think we've got our last question. Um, that is all on the questions on gospel for black millennials. Yep. Thank you again to everybody who sent one of mm. those in. Um, let us know your thoughts on the stuff that we've discussed. Please also continue to send us in more questions on the Curious Cat. Is the Slido still running? Um, no. No. Nah, um, that was an event thing only. Yeah. Um, but yeah, please continue to send us your questions. We are almost finished. <laughs> 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 almost, almost finished your podcast? Oh, oh, it is. oh, no, 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 no. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Question. Almost finished oh, okay. walk, uh, this podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure that all of us will speak on this particular question, um, but it's it's been requested. And so. Oh, um, who requested it? I wait, should, say name. We should, should, we give, should we give context? Yeah, 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 we will. Okay. Um, so there was a tweet um, that was sent out recently by a prominent Christian um, theologian, apologist, and I think elder. Yeah, he's an elder. Um, on um, a particular subject. I'm going to read the tweet. So we're expressing the tweet in his terminology that he was happy mm. to use. Um, which is more likely to be the central cause for the fact that black women are three and a half times more likely to kill their unborn children? Answer one, fundamentally rebellious sexual ethics and fatherlessness and sexual license. Or answer two, slavery from 160 years ago. That was a tweet um, someone has asked us for our reflections on that. Um, mm. And I think I'll pan firstly to Israel and if Dami and Mary want to chime in, they can. But I think I'm happy for Israel to speak on my behalf. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, this this tweet was made, I think. It was this week, this, yeah, 20, oh yeah. yeah ooh, this week. Last week, Sunday. Last, last week, week, Saturday. Sun last week, Saturday. Yes, that's, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 22nd. Um, 22nd of June. And it, it got a lot of heat um and i so i'm going to start by saying fundamentally disagree with the tweet um and really disappointed in it i think in and of itself the tweet is racist and i'm gonna i'm going i'm going all the way there i'm going to explain why israel's uh, comments do not reflect <laughs> <laughs> well as in so i'm so when i said in and of itself i said in and of itself because I, okay. I, I, I don't i don't want to get distracted because i know so 
when this thing blew up, um, a lot of Hey, wait, hold on, because I'm looking at Kings now, like, you know how you said, <laughs> he yeah, agreed with him. he was like, let me say, this is not about, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm looking to be edified by Brother Israel, Okay. and I retract my initial statement, <laughs> and will give my thoughts at the end, as to where <laughs> I would like to resubmit so, those comments. So, here it is, I want, to, I want to stay away from what James White has said a lot of people have complained about. Okay. He said people have attacked him and they've used a lot of emotion and they say, no, you're racist, you're this, you're that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna even gonna be super generous here and say, let's forget about whether James White is racist or not. Like we're not even gonna do with that. These the 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 tweet in and of itself, irrespective of whoever said it, okay, was racist. So I'm just gonna deal with the content alone. The reason I say that is because the tweet addresses disparity and not causality. So the tweet didn't say what causes black women to have abortions. It said what causes black women to have more three times, three point five times more abortions than white women. So he's dealing with disparity. So the question is, and he gives the two options: is it the um, rebellious sexual ethics, the fatherlessness, and the sexual license? His words, or is it slavery from one hundred and sixty? Um, years ago now there's a history to that to, to those two options because there's been a lot of back and forth with him and other people about the um, the still prevalent uh, effects effects of slavery and he says actually no there really isn't but it's just because black people are sinners he so his his argument is black people are sinners therefore they engage in rebellious sexual ethics Therefore, there's been a lot of fatherlessness and therefore they have sexual license. That's why they have abortion. But since he's addressing disparity, because he's mentioned 3.5 times more likely, he's actually saying the disparity is because of their sin, which leads to only one conclusion, that in and of itself, black people are more sinful or 3.5 times more sinful than white people. Because that's the only that's that's he so he's making an argument that the reason they are more likely to have abortions is because they engage in more sin. If he wasn't addressing disparity, right, it would have been a whole different story. But because he addressed the disparity, he's actually inferred that black people are more sinful. Um, and there's a, a guy on Twitter who I think addressed this one. I'm gonna end with just essentially quoting his arguments or well, he 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 writes on twitter in response to to james white which i think he does a very good job again in sticking with the argument let's try to make this simple this is his thread no race is morally inferior or superior to any other in america or anywhere so that's the first point there is no so white people are not inherently more um godly mm -hmm. by virtue of race than black people or vice versa mm -hmm. so he says that's a non-negotiable all are equally sinful so why are there statistical disparities when it comes to sins like abortion? Is there more sin in the hearts of one group than another? The scripture closes that door. So it's not because black people are more sinful than white people because sin affected all races equally in the same way. So what explains the disparity? Um, Bradley Mason, this is, I'm quoting him, says this. One such obvious factor is poverty. According to the most recent data, three-fourths of abortion patients were low-income, 49% living, living at, le at, at less than the federal poverty level and 26% living at 100 to 199% of the poverty level. There are obvious reasons for this. The 
The Brookings Institute notes that rich and poor women have sex at near statistically identical rates, but women in poverty are five times as likely to have unintended pregnancies. Two factors are indicated to explain this. First, poorer women are less likely to actually plan or intend pregnancy for obvious reasons. And second, poorer women are less likely to use contraception because access plays a key part to this as well. Now, without going through piles of data, I'm going to write this up soon, on overall disparities, we know that black America, ha black Americans have one-tenth to one-twentieth the wealth of white Americans. So this is a disparity in terms of wealth. Mm -hmm. He continues, the fact of the matter is, the two groups have equal propensity to sin as per scriptural principles, but economic circumstances have a tremendous impact on the expression consequences and outcomes of these identical sinful propensities so and and here i'm not gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna stop quoting here and just make the simple point is that if statistically white america is more rich than black america and both engage in the sin of um sexual license just as equally those who have the economic access to restrain to restrain their sin from being evidenced physically and publicly will appear to be more contained than those who are poor. Right. The simple fact is a rich white girl in suburbia America who's engaging in just as much sexual license as the poor black person in that same city has the money to afford contraception, to pay for the morning after pill, to what all these other forms of contraception that actually mean that the pregnancy doesn't happen in the first place. Whereas the person who is in um, urban city center america who's poor doesn't have those means to restrain the the um visible evidence of the same sin right and we know this already in terms of drugs middle class america middle class britain we had this debate with the with our politicians mm. you have uh, what's his name michael gove sniffing cocaine while he's a journalist but the same cocaine that he's sniffing you have people in um <laughs> you have people in in, in poor neighborhoods in, 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 in London, sniffing that same cocaine, but without means to hide it or to keep it under control, without the power to really manipulate the situation, who then get thrown in prison. So they're engaging in the same sin, in the same issues, but one has the means and the financial uh, structures to keep it behind closed doors and to hide it and to present a very put together image, the other doesn't. That explains the disparity, not the actual sin in and of itself. And that's why I think um, his 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 tweet was racist because it, it it basically says the disparity is because of their sexual license. But why would their sin make them be three times more likely to do the same sin as a white person? Can I be an advocate for Mister um, White in this mm -hmm. in this sense? And I would just say, is there a uniqueness to the problem of fatherlessness? in the african-american mm. or even black british concept context yeah that allows for this statement to be legitimate in some way well i mean in fairness i didn't address the the fatherlessness yeah part of it so that's a um that's good for bringing it up um it, it adds to, it's it's a it's a it's another social factor that adds to the disparity um, and again, fatherlessness is a very complicated issue in the black community in the US or in the UK um, because there are different things that cause fatherlessness. There isn't one thing that causes fatherlessness. There are obviously instances where 
um, fathers walk away from their families because of their sin. Mm-hmm. There's no economic issue. There was no, it wasn't that they were thrown in jail. They just said, I'm leaving my family for my mistress. Like that happens in the black community. We're not gonna, we're not gonna say that doesn't yeah. happen. Okay. And, that, and that's one um, explanatory cause for the case of fatherlessness. But there also is the history of, um, especially in the US in terms of it, its own history, the, the tensions between the governments um, and the black community mm. where you have the war on drugs that have been evidenced by numerous scholars. Um, for example, Michelle... Uh, Higgins? No, 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 no. Uh, mass, oh. mass incarceration. The New Jim Crow. She wrote a book um, called the New, the New Jim Crow, which basically speaks on the war on drugs and mass incarceration um, and shows actually how uh, black men... Um, specific- Michelle Alexander. Yes, Michelle Alexander, New, The New Jim Crow. Which shows us, especially how you know black music has been targeted because of the war on drugs, um, and that has led to fatherlessness. When, when your father has spent all your life in jail, that has one. That means you have one less person who's actually involved in your life, speaking to the issues that are um, addressing you. You also have obviously the creation of ghettos, which comes from redlining, where you had white flight white Americans moving out of the city into the suburbs because of um, loans they were given to buy big and fancy houses. That leaves all um, the black people who can't afford the loans in the city centre. They don't have the resources to actually look after their environment. That creates um, poor working conditions, poor living conditions, which leads to poverty. And poverty is heavily tied to crime. Poverty is heavily tied to drug use. And then that, that creates a cycle where your father went to jail because of a crime, because of drug use, and your mother is hooked on drugs as well. And then you only have one context in which you live now, um, a, a a ghetto where half the people who live there are on drugs, um, half of your friends don't have um, fathers, and then that perpetuates a cycle. So there's lots of, and those are, those are literally, I think I've only mentioned three, two or three examples of causes of fatherlessness so it's a very complicated issue and, I, and I, i'm starting to become convinced of the line of thinking um by anthony bradley in that anyone who tries to reduce one issue to one cause is already wrong no matter how much data you present because almost everything in the human experience is interconnected um so when someone like james white tries to reduce an issue to one causal factor that causal factor plays a part, but it's never a part of the whole story. We, and, and Anthony Brady has, he did a whole master's. I mean, he did a PhD in theology, but went back to university to do a master's in um, criminal justice reform, just so he can actually speak confidently on the issue. And he's become convinced that actually, there are always at least four to, five, to, to six things that create one issue. So anyone that says, the reason uh, black people are doing X is because of fatherlessness, that's part of the story. It's always part of the story. It's not the whole thing. We can't honestly believe it's the whole thing. There's a huge web of interconnected issues that create one any circumstance, which means there's going to be a huge web of interconnected solutions that will solve any one issue. And we need to be more nuanced and be honest and say, these things are complicated and interconnected and we can't reduce it to one factor. Follow-up question two. Mm-hmm. I think the original uh, the original tweet says... Um, that gives a comparison it says yeah. what is more likely to cause this result right and he gives the first answer mm-hmm. sexual license fatherlessness yeah. he gives the second answer slavery from 160 mm. years ago 
Um, so the follow-up question I have is ultimately what are your reflections on the bringing up of slavery from 160 years ago as one of the alternatives given? Um, it was a clear um, uh, attack on, no, no, attack sounds strong, but pushed back against the idea that slavery still has effects in society today, which is ridiculous. I mean, um, we have things, it's ridiculous because we have things that have happened in history from way beyond slavery that still affects us today and we would acknowledge it as such. No one would, would deny, for example, that the British Empire, even in its, in its um, official ending, did not does not still have impacts on all the Commonwealth countries. No one would deny that. Um, we know that things that happened from 500, the Reformation still has lingering effects on society today. Mm. And I know James White would be the first to be like, yes, look at the, the institutions that we created out of the Reformation. Yeah. Reformation from 500 years ago, but you don't believe slavery that, was, that lasted for 400 years, that only ended 160 years ago, still has effects now, but you believe the Reformation from 500 years ago actually does. So we know things that happened way in the past have created the present and have lingering effects in the present. That's just the, a fact, irrespective of the historical events. But now specifically, I think for him, in terms of slavery, we know that it, slavery was, was, yeah, 300 to 400 years in the, in the US. Um, and we're only 160 years out. How does an institution that lasted for that long all of a sudden disappear in its effects in half the time? That's, that's, that, that already is, is, is suspect. But apart from that, it wasn't even just slavery. So even if I give a lot of license and space for him, mm. we have um, Jim Crow, for example, is a huge part Mm-hmm. of um, the current state of US um, race disparities that we see right now. And he completely ignores that. All the, the events that happened between the Emancipation Declaration and now, in terms of race relations, he says, oh, those don't matter because Abraham Lincoln says slavery is um, over or something like that. All these other things, um, the new Jim Crow, um, Jim Crow uh, the redlining and so on, all of those things, they don't have an effect, but they do. And I think his 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 not addressing those as though they don't matter um, says a lot. And it also shows that when again we're not thinking of the complexity of any one issue. That the relationship between the black community historically in the U.S. and the wider um, nation has so many components. It isn't just slavery, as significant as slavery was. There are so many other things that happened and connect to that, that mean that we still, that there are still issues in the US now. Are there any reflections from anyone else um, after what I think was a very comprehensive answer from Israel? I'm good. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good. Of, in what respects? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I'm not necessarily gonna deal um, too much with the two. I think Israel ha- has done that. Um, quite thoroughly. I think uh, one of the unfortunate things about the fallout from this um, debacle um, is just the way that the interactions again have taken place. Mm-hmm. And I listened to a follow-up, um, converse- not conversation, a follow-up um, show that he did on his um, platform. And one of the, the suggestions arising from James White's um, talk was that um, he was only getting pilloried by the mob and that the people who were responding to this tweet were um, susceptible to groupthink and hadn't thought through the issues and could not be um, 
exposed to the facts if they were to hold opposing views. I think an unfortunate um, um, way in which James White perhaps communicates or even in which these um, discussions take place is that, as we've said previously on like social media, what they don't allow for is nuance. And some of his interactions have demonstrated to me that he hasn't actually seen some of the people who have dealt with his opinions charitably Mm. have tried to understand the ways in which he's portrayed them. Um, I mean, I read a response, a fantastic response, I think, from Jasmine Holmes. Yeah, mm. shout out Jasmine. Um, and I was just thinking, how could you read what she said, if you indeed if you indeed did read it, um, and think this is part of mob mentality? That's somebody who's speaking to the fact that this has issues for her presently, and the fact that her family... Um, has been affected by fatherlessness, etc. And so one of the ways in which her and her husband are working towards re- reducing, it, it's a big it's a big enough issue for them that her husband and her are now working towards helping to eradicate some of those issues. And I think the lack of sensitivity sometimes displayed in those um, interactions or their appra- the appraisal of people's responses um, is unbecoming of, somebody who I would, I would suggest of, of, of James White's stature. I'll leave it there. Mm. No comments from me. Um, I, so I think, yeah, I think it's unfortunate the way um, characters have been attacked in this in this whole um, debacle. Um, and especially black women, um, because, and like you said, they're, they're, and um, Jasmine Holmes is one of them. There's been many, Mm. Black women who've who've pointed to the amount of work they are doing because they obviously they feel and see the issues in the black community in a way I don't think James White does, um, and they don't just sit there and look at it, but they're actually being very involved and engaged. And I think to um, to look up to look at them and just to say all you all you are merely is a mob susceptible to groupthink, um, like they don't have a stake in the matter, um, is disheartening and, and literally I mean the lightest was unfortunate because that that shows um, a lack of concern to even take up your own words so he he is complaining about people attacking his character his um, his posture mm. and then attacks people's posture mm. and character and, and in fairness it's happened in back and forth ways. absolutely yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but I think you know his own words should be taken seriously in that people generally disagree Mm-hmm. Um, and that there, there needs to be a holistic approach to addressing the issues and not simply trying to slander people's characters because of disagreement. And yeah, I'll just say the last thing I would say on that is none of this is to say that he cannot speak to these issues. Yeah. Um, no, nobody that I've read, at least in the responses to that tweet, was suggesting, um, hold on, let me just... Yeah, I, I didn't read anybody <laughs> that said... James White, you cannot speak to this because you're a white man who does no work in the black community. Mm. Um, I think that kind of response is an unhelpful response and an unbiblical response. Yeah. Um, you want gospel-minded folks to speak to these kinds of issues. However, you also want them to speak with sensibility, gospel truth, um, with, with understanding, compassion, um, such that even if what you are presenting goes against what you consider a grain. You're doing so in a way that is um, winsome to people. So the gospel is not compromised by your character. I'll close there.
That's good. That's good. I think that's a good um, point to to end the podcast. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, guys, for for listening, for getting to the end. Um, I hope you found the question and answers helpful. And just to reiterate that point that Dami made uh, earlier, do uh, ask us more questions than our curious cat, or if you know us personally, um, in messages on Twitter, on Facebook, um, and again Instagram. on Instagram. Follow us on all those pages as well. Like our stuff, comment, subscribe. Um, and to the extent that you think we've been useful, share with those around you as well. Um, but thank you for listening. This is Bat Bria. Skrilla. Boop, 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 boop. That's good, guys. I enjoyed it. Yeah.